Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity, and I am here at prayer conference at Camp Kalakwa in High Springs, Florida. This is my 10th year doing prayer conference, and if anyone who knows me in real life knows anything about me, it is that prayer conference comes first. Uh, I've been willing to turn down jobs for this. It hasn't actually had to happen yet, but I have been willing, and I've communicated it in job interviews uh, and in conversations with employers that prayer conference is a priority number one, and it is a a deal breaker for me with jobs. Uh, This has been such an incredible experience for me, and today uh, I have two wonderful, amazing guests with me. Uh, One has become a brother to me, and um, the other has been... Um, one of my greatest mentors and has become basically a mother to me. Um, and both of them have become two of my dearest friends. And so I'm here with James Johnson and Stephanie Johnson, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So Stephanie, let's go ahead and start with you. Well, Stephanie Johnson, and I'm here at prayer conference, and I pretty much do the same thing Ryan does. It's like job interview. Well, you got to know I'm going to go to prayer conference every year. Yes, absolutely. And, and so, uh, yeah, it depends on that. Uh, at the present time, I uh, teach servant leadership classes at Forest Lake Academy. This is something that I have done at several of our academies. I've developed a program in servant leadership to teach kids how to lead as Jesus led. Mm, awesome. And James, what about you? Well, yeah, I'm uh, James Johnson and... Uh, well, Stephanie actually is my mother, so <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad to have you as a brother too, uh, Ryan. That's a, that's a, that's a high honor. Um, I'm the youth pastor at the Apopka Seventh Day Adventist Church, and have been involved in prayer conference really since it changed over from the old uh, youth to youth in the Southern Union uh, uh, back in 1998, I believe. So this is year 20, and uh, been involved in it. Uh, in some capacity, almost every year since then. Mm. So, 
Man, so this is my 10th year, which I find funny that I didn't realize until you guys said it was the 20th year that that means my first year was the 10th year. Um, and the first year, it's I remember... It's all about math, man. It, it is. It's all about math. Yep. Um, unfortunately, I became a pastor, so math doesn't work well for me. Um, but I remember my first year, Steph, you were talked about as this legend, but you weren't actually here that year because of uh, going through cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were just this legend, everyone. And you could tell that something was missing, but I didn't really understand what it was. And then I came back the next year, my junior year of high school, and suddenly it all made sense. Um, and then my senior year, I remember finding out that you were going to be the chaplain at Forest Lake. And I m- walked into my mom's office every day. She was the principal at the time. And I said, when is Steph getting here? When is Steph getting here? And like the first, I think it was either the first day or your second day in your office, I like marched into campus ministry's office in the middle of the summer. And I was like, I don't care what it takes. I want involved in whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, but you didn't want to work for me. But I didn't want to work for you. That's true. I was on yearbook, unfortunately. Um and we made it. We made it work. Um, and then ever since then, I've come back to prayer conference. Um, and the reason, the reason that prayer conference is so important to the three of us. Let me. I, I want to get some context as, as to what this is. So what we do is all of the Southern Union academies, or most of them, come to Camp Kalakwa for a few days in January, and each school sends their student some student leaders that they nominate up a day early. And what we do is we train them in small group leadership. And then when all 300 or so of the rest of the students come the next night on Wednesday night, that is when um, they get put into small groups that are completely randomized. And we pair up the leaders with someone from a different school that they've just met. And they lead a small group throughout the conference. And we call them family groups. And it is incredible the transformation that happens in just four hours of being together. And obviously the hours are not four hours back to back, but throughout the conference, um, it is crazy to experience that and to see that. This is one of the few places where in ministry you get to see the fruit of your labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, it's part of why I come back every year, is this is the one place that validates and affirms my calling because I can see the impact that I'm having on people. So I've come back ever since I graduated high school as a leader, or I mean as a trainer, and um, have been blessed to be a part of it. And these two have been a part of it for obviously double the length of time that I am. <laughs> and uh, Stephanie is somewhat of a legend as a chaplain um, and has been all over the U.S. I think but it's, it's more troublemaker than legend. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly why. I love it. Um, so why I have you two in here is for something uh, actually incredibly personal. And uh, to our listeners, if you listened to last week's episode... Uh, you heard me talk about an apology I made on Facebook about um, some inappropriate jokes I made uh, after, as a result of dealing with grief from my dad's death. Well, my senior year of high school is when that happened, and uh, Steph was my chaplain. And uh, a lot of people don't realize this. Steph also has a background in mental health. Um, in fact, you have a master's in mental health counseling, right? right. Mm-hmm. So... Um, my senior year, when in a matter of two months, I lose my dad, uh, same week, put my dog down. Then a month later, a friend dies in a car accident. And then a month later, on my dad's birthday, my mom is diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, my senior year. <laughs> uh, and so in the mess of trying mm-hmm. to figure out my life, where I'm going to college, being in senior class play, which I still don't know how I pulled that off. 
um, going on class trips, all of it, helping my mom, supporting my family, all picking up the pieces. Um, the way that Steph treated me my senior year is one of the major reasons that I even survived that time. Wow. And I did not um, know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm getting a lot better at uh, public affirmation um, and actually telling people how significant of an impact they had on me. Um, so I want to talk today about that because um, there is basically, I want to ask this. Um, and so, Steph, we'll start this conversation, I think, with you. When a kid has lost something or a kid is going through something terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your approach? Like, what do you do when when something like that has come to your attention? I, I think, uh, Ryan, it's probably one of the most difficult things that I have to deal with in counseling because many times there's not a solution. You can't help somebody, you know, say, well, everything's going to be okay. And uh, so I pretty much do a lot of listening um, with kids, um, I realize that they have to take that journey through the grief and loss process because it's very toxic if they don't, and they have to deal with so many other things. And just just to be there and just assure them they're not crazy, that go through the process, the pain is bad, but you need to go through that process is really important. And then kind of give them the stages of grief and loss, you know, so they know, okay, it's okay for me to feel this way. It's like giving them permission. And and it's an individual journey. Again, it's letting them realize you can't compare yourself even to a family member because you're going to do it differently. And just saying you're okay, you're not crazy, and just encourage them to take the journey. Yeah, and and that meant a lot to me because – uh, I didn't know what my journey was, for sure, and no. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. did. So you, what you did was you gave me space mm-hmm. to figure that out and have right. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you eased off on assignments. You gave me all the space in the world. You told me, yeah. anytime you want to come by my office and talk, you're welcome to um, about anything. And uh, I think mm-hmm. I shut down. I aired too much on the side of not talking about it. But just knowing that I had that option was comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that I think is um, is really hard to deal with. And I think... On a, in a general level, our church doesn't really know how to respond to situations like that where there is no clear-cut answer to anything. Right. Um, and James, you've had an experience mm-hmm. yourself um, that you've, I've, I know a little bit about, but I don't actually know. I think this conversation is going to give me kind of the full story. So um, talk to me about your experience because I want to know kind of your background here and, 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 how, um, and how your mom actually helped you through some of that time as well. Sure. Um, it's interesting uh, talking about this at prayer conference, actually, because my story in prayer conference intertwines, actually. Um, growing up, um, you know, I was always one of those pipsqueak kids, you know, and when you're a boy, that's kind of tough sometimes. Um, so even growing up where I did grow up, uh, I had to deal with some of the bullying stuff, um, that actually got quite a bit worse after we moved right before I went into eighth grade. And so I know uh, that that really, uh, it obviously it hit me hard and it was difficult. I mean, I can remember being in eighth grade and just trying to deal with the stress of all of that. Uh, I used to do some kind of weird blinking thing with my eyes. It was just some sort of strange release that is not really very explainable for me. I'm sure that there are people with a, a 
psychological background that would be able to explain that yeah. better than I could. But, uh, boy, that got keyed on on quick. And so I was called uh, Eyeballs. I was called, uh, they wouldn't call me by my name. They called me George. I don't know why. They just picked that name. But I, there's something to me a little bit in the context of that happening. It was kind of just demeaning about not even being called by my own name. Yeah, they're stripping your identity away. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and as much as that stressed me out, um, you know, I realize looking back on it now, that stressed out probably my parents about as much as it stressed me out. Because they, you know, I, I think they were dealing with a little bit of grief and loss themselves for having moved, for one thing, and then just seeing their son go through this. Mm. So it was... I don't know, maybe you could tell me, Mom, but a year or so after we got there, I think, was really when the idea, at least, for the peer ministry or, at the time, peer counseling program was really just getting started. And um, so uh, that everything that she's done since then kind of seems to have flown out, or flown out, I guess, of that that period of time where you're trying to figure out how to even help your own kid. Hmm. Uh, at least I'm, you know, mom, you can shed light on that, but looking back on it, that seems to be kind of what happened. And so much of that training got translated into what we even do as trainers now here at prayer conference, the small group training, how to be an empathetic listener. Yeah. A lot of the nuts and bolts of just peer ministry, peer to peer ministry that we try and pass on to these kids so, you know, my story intersects with this whole story and um you know, it is it, is quite a thing when you when you realize that m- maybe my pain has resulted in helping a lot of other kids and stopping some of that cycle. So, yeah. well, and that's I think um you know, Matt Smith is a speaker this year and last night he he brought up Romans 8:28 which was uh, one of the most annoying verses to me and most abused and misused and misunderstood verses, I think, in all of Scripture when it comes to grief and loss. Because mm-hmm. we've used that verse to say everything happens for a reason, which I think is the biggest load of crap <laughs> uh, ever. Uh, and when people tried to tell me, oh, your dad, don't worry, your dad died for a reason. Everything's happening for a reason. That, that happened so many times. Um, I've never come closer to punching someone in the face just out of pure um, anger and frustration and grief. And never happened. No, don't. No one. No, no one freak out. No, that never actually. I, w- happened. I wouldn't think less of you. Um, <laughs> yeah. The but that that verse is. Uh, it uh-huh. says that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Not go. all things work together. Not any. It's in all things God works, and I think this is an example of yeah. that. Yeah. That God worked in a situation and figured out how to how to transform it into something good, and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that your original pain and grief. Mm-hmm was something that required or that was required to it's get It's not here. a matter of it uh, there was it's not a matter of it saying there was a purpose for the pain as much as we found some purpose out of it maybe. Yeah, absolutely. That's a way exactly. to say it. Yeah, yeah, we did something with it. Yeah. Um and 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 from what I know that's a big part of the grieving process is and, and a big part of closure is taking um is taking something from your grief and doing something with it. Um, so like when, when parents lose their kids to like kidnapping or cancer or something, they mm-hmm. become big advocates for um, those, those um, you know, nonprofits that, that support cancer research or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Uh, you know, parents will lose, um, 
or, or, you know, someone will lose their spouse as a police officer, you know, he'll die in the line of duty and um, they'll join this big pass or this Mm -hmm. big police officers union and, and support nonprofits that go to supporting law enforcement. And um, yeah, it's just a big part of it. And Mm -hmm. and so I think prayer conference might, might uh, not necessarily be the direct result, but one of the results of, and and I don't know, Steph, what, maybe you can shed some light here. I mean, as you were putting together the servant leadership program and creating it, um, was, did any of this kind of thing, I mean, obviously my situation didn't play in, but, but what played into your development of it? Uh, when we left uh, the school that we were at and and came down here to Florida, um, I had just actually, my parents had just divorced, um, and both of my parents had been fired from one of our institutions. And I had led a pretty good life uh, in terms of where I grew up in mm-hmm. community-wise, and uh, I did not know how to deal with this part of grief and loss. And um, as a result, I became anorexic. When we moved to Florida, I weighed 89 pounds. Wow. Um, and so not only was I coming out of that, learning to deal with that, then it was compounded by watching what was happening to James, which I also will back up and say that, when I moved to a school, an elementary school, I was bullied. And it was far worse to watch my child being bullied than it was to be bullied myself. Mm, and yeah. so here I am at the, at, at the new school. I'm ready to leave the church. I mean, right back then in the late 80s and 90s, there was this phrase they used to, a lot. It was called the caring church. That really bugged me. It's like... <laughs> I don't see any caring here. I mean, I I watched, you know, uh, a similar situation um, with, you know, watched my, my mother go through a lot of, she, there was no reason for them to let her go other than she was a woman. And so there was a lot of stuff going on there that, that really bothered me. And I'm going to the caring church, the caring church, and I'm going, I'm going to leave this place. But you know what? I never lost sight of my relationship with God. And so he kept throwing that back at me, and it mm. made me mad. <laughs> and so it was, it was almost... It's easier just to leave. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, hey, what do you mean? And so as I walked in my walks and talk with God, I realized that we he was putting together a plan for me, and it was the peer program. Because I thought to myself, okay, adults are not being caring in our church. I'm going, maybe I can change the church because I can do something to change kids. And so this whole servant leadership program got started with a walk and talk, and it was because of him because of how he was treated. I said, we're at Christian school. Kids should not treat each other this way. And I was looking past him to other kids that were being treated. I'm going, we got to teach them what it means to be caring. We got to teach them how to treat each other, how to build each other up. And so little by little, these programs came together and I started them. And believe me, they came on a lot of criticism. But it seemed like every time I got criticized for something, like when I started the small groups part of this, the can openers program, uh, it got criticized. And so I went from like five groups 
all of a sudden I was doing 12 groups, 15 groups on campus. It seemed like every time it got criticized, it was almost like the Lord said, well, I'll show you. <laughs> and and it would grow. Yeah. And it would grow. And then these kids are giving back. And, and James, uh, we got a phone, I got a phone call uh, from the elementary school. And there was a boy who was being bullied and not doing well. And he, the teacher called and said, do you have anybody who can come over and work with this kid? And I immediately thought about James. And so James goes over there. They shoot baskets. Found out they both played trombone. And this is going on. And I get this phone call a few weeks later from the teacher. And he starts out the conversation with, what in the world is James doing with this kid? And I'm going, what is James doing with this kid? <laughs> and so he says, Uh-oh. we've got a whole turnaround. This kid's a whole different kid. He's cooperating. His grades are coming up. And, and I asked James, I said, what are you doing? He says, I don't know, just shooting baskets. I don't get it, <laughs> you know? And all of a sudden, Is I... Is that what they call it, James? Shooting baskets? That's yeah. Right. That's what they call it. I don't want to tell them what it really was. No. Okay. Uh, no. It, with that kid, I remember that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the time, yeah, I was just shooting baskets. But, I mean, really, all it was was just... That was the vehicle. Spending time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, let's have these deep sessions or anything. No. We talked while we shot baskets, mm-hmm. and you know, and I think looking back on that experience for me, it was it's, and I think this says a mm-hmm. lot to how do you help a kid that's going through a bad time is you got to find that that point of connection, that empathetic mm-hmm. point of connection, where it's like there's something in my experience and this guy's experience that intersects. Um, that doesn't mean I sit there and say I understand everything you're going through because you don't. Uh, but at least you, you can, you can listen with your heart, not just your ears. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, there's something to be said about just sitting with someone through, through grief. Um, my favorite moment in all of scripture, and I make no apology for it being my favorite moment in all of scripture, uh, is Job two, when his friends first see him from afar, they tear their clothes because that was culturally what you did when you were grieving and they when you see a friend uh, so distraught he's sitting job is sitting on the remains of all he has his wife has left him mm-hmm. and his friends come up they see him and the the it says they they sat in silence together for 7 days and 7 nights and no one said a word uh most powerful thing in all of scripture to me is that one moment mm-hmm. cuz job goes da- that book goes downhill immediately the second they start opening their mouths uh, <laughs> that's basically the next 30 chapters, uh, all a result of them. Opening you had their one job. You exactly. Well, you had one job. Uh, that's it. Uh, you had one, you had one job. Uh, welcome to prayer conference where we make terrible jokes and we live in it Constantly. and embrace it. Uh, everything we do is a, it's, it's a terrible joke and I love it. Um, no, but that's, that's, there, there's something to be said about sitting with someone through grief. And even one of my best friends to this day, he went through a bad breakup when we were in high school and every day for like a month or two months after that, he would he would call me after school and be like, hey, do you want to go to McDonald's? We would just sit in McDonald's and eat and hang out. And to mm-hmm. this day, that was over 10 years ago, and, or that was 10 years ago, and to this day, he still tells me that that was one of the most significant things, mm-hmm. was that, was that, was those, and I'm like, I just went to McDonald's every day, because as a high school student, I can handle that. Um, <laughs> uh, and my, my digestive system can handle that. But, um, yeah, to this day, that was huge for him, and mm-hmm. So it's it, there is something to be said about just being friends with someone through it. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, uh, one thing that I, I'm also thinking about is 
one of the classes that I teach, it's called Social Issues, where kids can choose a topic and they can put together a small group uh, study on something. And through the years, I've had kids choose things like grief and loss, uh, suicide prevention. Um, and it's because of the fact that in the grief and loss, the two individuals actually watched a sibling being struck by a car and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, the suicide one, um, the young man's grandfather had committed suicide and he went to the funeral and people kept saying, well, it's too bad your grandfather won't be in heaven. <laughs> Come on. And so this kid comes back and he does all this research with the Bible teacher and he can't, they can't find anything that says, you know, that he won't be in heaven. So in both, all of these instances, when it came to the social issue topic, guess what these kids wanted to do? The young man did the one on suicide prevention because he wanted to be a blessing to his peers and let them Mm. know, you know, it, it put meaning to his suffering. The kids who did the grief and loss ones, their stories were powerful, and they helped somebody else. I had a kid who was sexually molested by a family member and had to go through counseling and then came in, and we talked about it as when she got older. And she came back in a few years, and she said, Steph, if you have any girls who go through this, I want to help them. And so when we look at grief and loss, how we help people through grief and loss, they're very vulnerable. You're either going to push them away from a relationship with Jesus, Mm -hmm. or you're going to help them grow stronger in their relationship with Jesus. And the goal, if you can walk with that person long enough, is to be able to see them take the responsibility and say, I have walked this path And now because I've shut the door on all the bad and I've taken with the things, the things that have helped me, I now want to help somebody else. That's huge. I, um, you know, and and that actually gave me an idea now, which is that I think I talk a lot about deconstruction of faith on this Mm -hmm. podcast and talk a lot about questioning things and trying to find answers and, um, I don't know why I've never thought to do this, but it's a great idea now that you've, you've, you've kind of keyed into it, which is this idea of if you have a question about faith or God, treat it as if someone else has asked you it and mm-hmm. you need to find them an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of kids chose creating a Bible study for someone else because it finally gave them the opportunity to ask and answer the questions that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, you know, pretending like or, you know, creating a hypothetical where if someone asked mm-hmm. me about this, what would I tell them? Um, that gives you motivation and gives you a different perspective on how to answer those questions. It puts meaning to your suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, that is that is the that that was why you know your dad died for a reason. Um, and yes, people actually say that, um, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't surprise me to this day if there were still people that said it. I had, mm-hmm. um, I know of someone who's walked up to my mom and said that um, who disagreed with a lot of the things that she did in leadership in a leadership position and told her. You know, God giving you cancer is just uh, uh, well. There's 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 worse to come for you. Oh, good grief! Um, and uh, that happened. Uh, I know of that story. And uh, yeah, people can say some really cutting things, uh, and and think that they're doing the right thing. They're it, they're holding 
in many ways, that person's so vulnerable, and they don't realize that that, that they could be the turning point in yeah. whether that person turns to Jesus or turns away to, from Jesus. Well, and this is, I think, I think there's so much beauty in saying, I don't know, and just sitting in yes. something. There you go. Um, I actually, so I listened to another podcast, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one, uh, but I don't really mm-hmm. care. Uh, I listen to a podcast <laughs> called in the Good Company. The, <laughs> it's all right. I listen to a podcast called the Bad Christian Podcast, um, and mm-hmm. I love the conversations they have on there. Wait, that's not this one. It's this is the bad Advent. No, there oh, is a there is a bad Advent podcast though. Okay, uh, this is this is just a bad podcast in general. Is what this okay. is. Um, <laughs> but there's uh, a reason for there, everything. Yes, so. there is a reason for everything. Don't worry. But one of the guys in the Bad Christian Podcast, um, I love them for the perspectives they bring, the conversations they have. They talk about things that no one else is talking about. And one of the guys, Toby Morell, who is the lead singer of a, a post-hardcore band, um, and all three of the hosts of that show have been involved in like Mars Hill, the megachurch out in Seattle. One of them is a campus pastor of a megachurch in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and, but Toby Morell does a conference or a gathering he calls the True Man Experience. And um, what he does is he'll go to different towns. He'll go to, he'll meet in someone's home. And so it's not a venue, and there's only like 12, 15 guys that show up. And I went to one. They came through Rock Hill when I was living in Rock Hill, and I went to one. And he made us write a poem about how we see ourselves. And then he had us uh, talk about our relationships with our dads. Um, this was last year. This was in 2018 that, this, that I did this. We had a big barbecue, and then we sat and talked. We sang together. You know what's crazy? Singing Good Riddance, Time of Your Life by Green Day as a worship song. Uh, he, that was hilarious and awesome. Um, and we, then we sang, you know, Jesus paid it all. And, um, so don't, we sang actual traditional stuff too. Um, and we worshiped together. We talked about it and it was crazy to watch. Uh, he even, he even made the mention. He's like, I says, guys, we don't sit in, in grief a lot. We try to crack a joke and move on. And he said, tonight we're going to talk about our dads. We're gonna talk about how we see ourselves and we're going to sit in it. And if someone says something and we don't know how to react, we're just going to chill. And um, so many people, as they shared, were just bawling. Mm. Guys talking about things and their relationships with their dads or, um, or just how they saw themselves. Um, just Literally, he was like, I was fine when I wrote this. And that, like one guy was like, I was fine when I wrote this. And then I read it, and now I'm not fine. Um, and just crazy. And he's like, we're just going to sit in this for a minute. And um, just learning how to sit in that grief was was huge uh, for a lot of for a lot of the guys there. For me too, and uh, what I was doing, um, and understanding that it's okay for guys to cry too was a big one. I actually remember my senior year, uh, the day after my dad died, I was in school, and everyone thought I was crazy for it. But I figured it was better to be distracted than to be at home doing nothing. And um, but there were several times where I would excuse myself to the bathroom, to because I couldn't stop crying, like. It was this weird thing where I didn't need, I didn't feel like I needed to cry, and I was perfectly fine paying attention and and being in class. But I just feel tears coming. And there's nothing I could do about it. So like I'm going to use the restroom. Um, and I would be in there for like five minutes until I could get myself back together. But it was super weird. It was like this automatic response that I had no control over. I wasn't even thinking about it, and just tears come. Um, and and so, I, I where I want to transition this conversation is. Um, Steph, you brought it up in saying the caring, talking about the caring church. How do we walk through this stuff differently? Because right now it's, mm. <laughs> um, 
it's absurd the way that this stuff is handled and the way we treat each other through grief and things like that. And what happens at this conference is incredible because I've had kids in my group that have, I had one kid that, that talked about being suicidal 10 years later, that kid is still running strong, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this conference changes lives. It's the place where people are accepted. Um, the peer to peer program, even, um, the way it's structured teaches value as a creation of God, as someone who's unique, as someone and, and purpose, Mm-hmm. In being a servant leader and and sh- and loving people like Jesus loves them, um, and then giving them the practical tools to do it. So, what do we do as a church, and and how do we even as adults do better in in these arenas? Well, um, <clears throat> one of the things it's been interesting how the Lord always kind of prepared how everything should happen ahead of time. I look, I can look back and just see. I mean. I, I mean, I can tell you many times when people say, what do you do? And I go, I don't know. You know, I have no idea. <laughs> and then and then I am just blown away when I'm when I'm told what I'm doing. I go, oh, yeah, I guess I do do that. You know, it's just like, you know. But um, one of the things uh, that f- I felt really strong about, and I actually went to a class and had to write a whole paper on Luke 20, 10, 27, love the Lord with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. So... As I started the program, I was convinced that kids needed to know who they were in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I, crazy enough, is I work that whole text backwards. And I start with a person. And they've got to know how to deal with their stuff. And so I give them the tools. I teach them how to communicate. I teach them how to do conflict resolution. I teach them how to do small groups. I teach them their worth in Christ. You know, you've got to let go of control in order to get control. Mm. And so when you give your control to God and he can work through you, he can empower you. And you can look at your life and say, I love myself. I love who I am in Christ. And so the kids in class when we kind of got done with that a little bit, they got excited my first few classes and they'd say, Miss Johnson, can I go help one of my friends do the same thing? Oh, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Can I go do this? Can I? And I thought, oh, that's loving each other. So now you're loving yourself. You know who you're in Christ. And now you are helping others. You're empowering them to have that same love. So you're loving your neighbor. The best part, Again, the kids taught me, because I was too clueless, is they'd come in and they'd say, man, I think I love God so much more. I know I love God so much more. I don't get it. And I'm thinking, you love who you are in Christ. You're loving yourself. You're loving each other. And doing that makes you love God more. And so I believe you have to work a cycle. You're continually loving who you are in Christ you're loving other people, and it makes you love God more. Mm. And I think if we could just get back to being Jesus to each other, it would yeah. be huge. Yeah, I, I, I was just to piggyback on that. I'm, I'm listening mm-hmm. to this and realizing that, you know, the church a lot of times I think kind of has some fairly— I realize there's more than one facet of it. So to say polar extremes is not quite the right term. But there's some extreme reactions we have to people who are in difficulty. 
whether we're talking about grief and loss, whether we're talking about mistreatment or whatever it is. Um, church tends to, to a large degree, uh, a lot of people will try and avoid. You know, I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to avoid the person that is going yeah. through trouble. Or they get to that extreme like Job's friends where they finally at the end of the day couldn't keep their mouth shut, and now we have to come up with all the answers for everything. Yeah. So those are two opposite ends of the spectrum, obviously, but they're both wrong, right? So, you know, I I look at that and I say, okay, where did the extremes come from? It seems to me it comes from a place of insecurity. And let's just be honest, I think a lot of us are very insecure in sitting in our own grief, much less anybody else's. So, you know, what mom said about loving myself in Christ, that's the cure for that insecurity, and that allows me to start to deal with people walking through the desert uh, a lot more effectively than just coming to them and saying, "Well, Ryan, I'm you know I'm I'm sorry about your dad. Now let me tell you how you get through this." And mm. you know, I, yeah. I'm sure at that moment you'd have just tuned me out. Yep, I, absolutely. Even if you told me that to this day, I to would. The, tune well, you out. well, I would tune do the same thing. Um, you know, people had come to me and told me, this is how you're going to get through bullying. I pretty much didn't want to hear it. Yeah. You know? Um, the thing, I, I, I look back, there's a text I go back to when we're talking, especially about servant leadership, because I think servant leadership is all of what Mom was describing here. And it, it's just that Philippians 2, that having the same attitude that Christ Jesus had Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. It's that I'm willing to, I'm willing to be with you because I'm secure in who I am with Christ. That allows me to also tell you that you're okay. Everything around you is not okay, but you're okay. Yeah. You know, you said something about with with. Dad, and I got to give a shout out to my dad on this one, but because you said something about relationships with fathers, all those years I was going through all that stuff, Dad did not react the same way my mom did. Mom did what she could do. What Dad did is he didn't treat me like I wasn't okay. He always treated me like I was okay, and it made me believe that finally I was okay. Mm And that was a brilliant in and of itself. That's, I think, another way you come alongside people is you, you, you treat them like they're okay. And all that stuff that they're going through, it's not your fault. Yeah. You know, and um, I think when we say, here's the solution, or we just avoid it, it sends a subtle message that it is your fault. You should do something about this. Yeah. Well, I, um, I find it funny that looking at just the last several decades, the last probably 50 years in greater evangelical Christianity, but also uh, Adventism as well, a lot of conversions have been born out of, born out of uh, fear and um, instilling fear in people for the end times or instilling fear, people, uh, instilling fear in people for you know hell and eternal torment. Um, that's outside of Adventism, obviously. Um, our torment is in the form of church service, not in the form of, uh, you know, a literal burning place. Uh, <laughs> not every church, but some churches, let's be honest. Um, I, I, um, but I think we have, what we have is an entire generation of Christians 
that never initially learned their own value and mm-hmm. instead bought in because of fear. And I have friends yes. even my age who have bought in because of fear. And so what you have is all these people who have been Christians for longer than I've been alive, to, alive at you know, 25, 26 years old, and they, are, um, they have no sense of their value in Christ. I mean, I've been teaching this for 10 years alongside you. I've created my own small groups curriculum loosely based on what we do here. And um, I preach it all the time uh, about value and identity in Christ. And I have the hardest time with it myself. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time. I mean, I'm choking up talking about this just because I struggle to see myself that way. Mm. And we tell people to love each other. We can't even get loving ourselves right. <laughs> um, and, and so wow. this is, it's almost, it, it almost is, it makes me, makes me think of Hebrews where he says, you know, I want to give you meat, but you're still, um, you know, you're still getting milk. You're not ready for meat. At this point, you should be ready for the tough stuff of Scripture and, and what it means to be a disciple of God, but you can't even get this right, that you are valued, that you matter, and that, yeah, the bad stuff that happens in your life can happen to anyone. It is not a direct reflected reflection of your character or your um, or you know who you are, and it does not do... And, and even if it is, even if it is a choice that you made that led you down this path, it still doesn't change your standing in Christ. No. Um, it still doesn't t- change your your value and worth as a creation. Um, I, I know a good friend of mine who's been a, who's was a trainer or was a was a leader here a couple of years ago. Uh, gotten caught in a conversation with someone who uh, basically said, "I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I can never be saved," because mm. he had a set definition for what that was, and he thought he could never be saved because it was too late. Because that's the unpardonable sin, and he didn't realize he didn't fully understand that verse and he got into an and he got into a debate with with my friend for this is a guy in his 50s got into a debate with him for an hour and a half over this over this one point um and the guy still wouldn't buy it because we've we've had this view instilled in ourselves that we are less than that there's nothing we can do that we are not valuable and we are we don't have any worth um and, and it's and, and so yeah we treat people as we treat ourselves mm-hmm. you know i almost think the that that Luke verse of you know love your neighbor as yourself it almost doesn't seem like a command it seems like it's a prophecy you will love your neighbor as yourself more than I know it's not meant to be that way but that's sometimes how I read it mm-hmm. is yeah no matter what you do you're going to love someone else the way that you love yourself and that will come out in how you treat them yeah mm-hmm. so I, I I don't know if you guys have any thoughts here or um, anything that you want to add I guess on this point. Oh, well, you know what? <laughs> I, I knew somebody I had to think of something. Well, no, you're no, fine. no, I, no I, re- I really, I really did have something. You know, when you talk about not being able to love yourself, I'm with you now. Is uh, so many times I have kids who come in and they will say, I, I, I've done so many bad things. God can't ever love me, and I've done this and that, and I'm condemned to hell, and you know all this kind of stuff. And and I'm thinking to myself, you know. Well, what do you need to do, you know, to kind of move away from that? And, you know, and sometimes they'll say, well, you know, I've, I've done, you know, I've apologized to people and all this, but I did this. And so, you know, it, it'll never be right. You know, and I always want to say to them, so you're better than God? And they kind of look at me, you know, I like to do that shock value thing. Yeah. And I go, mm. so you think you're better than God? And they'll look at me and, and I'll go, so... God can forgive you, but you can't forgive yourself. 
So you kind of put yourself up there above God in many ways. It's like God forgives you. Who yeah. are you not to forgive yourself yeah. if God can forgive you? I mean, who do you think you are? You know, and it's yeah. like it's a shock value thing, and I and it makes them think. But sometimes that's an important yeah. way to go at it to make people look at it and say, God does value me. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I. You know, it, it, and, and that illustration and that question is not meant to shame them into thinking, oh, I've committed another sin. It's meant no. to go, it's <laughs> meant to make them realize how fruitless it is to yeah. not forgive yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and how, yeah, it, it's a waste of time to hold that grudge yeah. against yourself. Yeah. If God forgives you, who are you not to forgive yourself? Yeah. You know? There's that, there's that old uh, Jonathan Edwards sermon, sinners <laughs> in the hands of an angry God. Oh, yes. And I'm, and for, I'm pretty sure that was Jonathan Edwards. I know. I'm really quickly coming up with something. So somebody will no, probably you, write you, in, right? When you said the name... Um, you knew where I was going? Don't worry, though. When people write in negative things, they write them to Tony. I, oh, get, all the, I get all the positive responses, so don't worry. You're good. Well, if I said something wrong, it's my name's actually Ben Kreider anyway. So <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Ben will get, yes. Yeah. So, um, but that, that old sinners in the hand of the angry God thing that I think got handed down somewhat even into our thinking in the Adventist church, maybe even through some of the last generation theology stuff. And um, yeah, I can remember writing a, a paper for my dad's English class once at, uh, when I'm we went up back in my academy days and uh, something, it was in a spiritual nature. I don't really remember the title, all the details of it, but it kind of was almost along those lines of, uh, you know, God is saving us in spite of the disgust he must feel about us. Mm. Yeah. You know, I remember my dad getting a hold of that, and I got that paper bat returned to me. And, you know, you always see stuff in red, and the first thing you do is you're like, oh, brother, what did I do wrong? You're looking for the grammar mistakes. And I remember yeah. seeing a note in there, and it wasn't anything about the grammar or anything like that. It was do you really think God feels that way about you? And I could feel the tears on my paper, practically, from mm. my father on that one. And uh, you talk about changing your perspective on how much you value yourself and are able to love yourself when you realize that God does not feel that way about you mm-hmm. and that he actually really does, simple as it sounds, actually does love you not because he has to, but because he actually does, uh, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. When you realize God loves you because you are you, you can love yourself. And, you know, getting that, just getting that little note on that paper was a game changer for my spiritual life and even how I treated other people. Yeah. And I think it helped me be able to come alongside people that uh, just are going through life not feeling okay because of the way others treat them or whatever they're going through. Well, I um, I look at prayer conference, and it's easy for someone to listen to this and think that prayer conference is perfect. It's not. Um, I mean, it's as close as it's going to be with me involved anyway. That's true. Um, That's no, true. I, uh, you know, it isn't. Actually, I have a lot of people that were leaders alongside me uh, when I was uh, in high school and people that have been leaders since who since completely left faith, don't mm-hmm. care anymore, whatever. But it's interesting to note... That and I and I said this the other night when we were in training with with the kids that the most accepting people I know have come through the servant leadership training and through prayer conference in general. Like hands down, the most accepting people I know have come through prayer conference, even if they left faith. 
Uh, and I and I agree. I mean, there this business within our church about young adults leaving the church, you know, that just breaks my heart because I've worked so hard to keep them in to help these kids change the church. You know, yes, you be the absolutely. change of the church. Yeah, my hope is in you. And then they, to me, at first it was like, okay, they've walked, they've walked away, like you said about prayer conference. So I threw it out there on my social media page. And I said, where are you guys? I thought you were going to change things. I thought you were going to change this church. You know, what's what's going on? And I had this girl private message me, and she said, Miss Johnson, she says, I just want you to know that I'm not in the pew, but I'm there in spirit. Hmm. And I'm thinking, that's interesting. And then she goes on to say, this is how I use the skills that you taught me on how to be Jesus to other people, I use them in my workplace. And she went on to tell how she treated people in her workplace, my friends, my family. I may not be in that pew, but I am being Jesus in my own skin in the way that I'm comfortable. And I thought, you know, you sure taught me a, a lesson today in how do you be Jesus? And you may not be there in church, but somehow you have been able to take what you've learned and you know how to treat other people. Mm. I think the the kids that have done that uh, for, you know, that have come through mom's class or really any other walk mm-hmm. of spiritual education come to the realization at some point that uh, as much as we like to say we are trying to become like Jesus, um, I love that the way Mom always puts it, no, we're actually being Jesus. If we really believe that it's God in us, we're being Jesus. And, um, you know, when I actually have the mentality that I need to be the Jesus that I'm preaching about, um, that also changes my approach to how how I relate to people, how I even present the gospel to somebody, how somebody going through pain right now, you know, Jesus walked with people. He didn't just preach to people. Yeah. And, and you know, that to me is just such a huge thing, the, the whole just being present. I mean, there's a lot of people that'll say that they'll be present, but they, they change who they are based on who else may be with them at the time. But when your identity is solidly in Christ... Um, you're present as Christ. So you are Jesus in that situation. And, you know, these kids that come through this, man, they demonstrate that. Yeah. I think I was, I was, I was always bugged by WWJD. What would Jesus do? Still am. And now I think I finally figured out why. Um, Glad we could help. Thank you. Um, It's because it was always focused on the behavior. Hmm. Um, and what we're talking about here is is a fundamental understanding of how Jesus views you. Mm. And that is actually what drives your actions. Mm-hmm. And so I think reframing that question whenever I'm looking at a situation and thinking, what would Jesus do? Instead, I would ask, how does Jesus view this person or how does Jesus view me? Because if I know that and I believe that, then I will act in accordance with that anyway. And then we'll, mm-hmm. I'll know what to do, mm-hmm. usually. Mm-hmm. I'll know exactly what to do. Like this is, this is what I don't understand is, well, I do understand it. I get it. We feel the need to say something and speak when someone is hurting. But how often when we are hurting, do we hear Jesus speak to us 
sometimes there are moments where Jesus is completely silent and or crying along with us, mm-hmm. but he doesn't say anything. Um, there's no audible voice that appears out of heaven. No clouds part and a light beam shines down. Sometimes it's just, it's quiet because the pain is real and there is no, there's nothing you can say that's going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the first two days, this is, this is, this is my biggest beef with asking questions and trying to look for answers. The answers don't change anything. Mm. I mean, when my dad died for the first two days that he was dead, everyone thought he committed suicide. Police did. They came and searched my house, finding, because he was found. Um, he died of a heart attack, but he was found with a half-empty bottle of his, of his, um, of his heart medication spilled out. And they thought, he had commit- they thought he had OD'd and committed suicide. And so they searched our house for a suicide note or any, anything. They confiscated all of his stuff. Some of his stuff we never got back. Um, and it wasn't until an autopsy later that we finally realized it was a heart attack. Well, okay, cool. So he didn't take his own life. That makes me feel, I guess, a little bit better about him specifically. But it does not. It does nothing to practically change my situation. Like, period. It doesn't change the fact that someone has to now. We're we're now a one income family. Mm. It doesn't change the fact that now I'm going to graduate from high school, from college, get married, and my dad won't be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It it does not change the fact that now my mom has to go through cancer battles alone. Yep. You know what I mean? Like none of that changes. Um, knowing doesn't change anything um, when it comes to uh, the questions that we have about faith. But knowing the answer to those questions, but knowing who we are and knowing who's with us is a big part of what carries us through. Um, so I, um, yeah, that's I think that that's why I say what you what you two have just shared really made me kind of realize why I've had beef with what would Jesus do. I don't like it, um, and that's why it's behavior focused. It's who would Jesus be, not what would he do necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so as we kind of, um, as we wind down here, I guess um, I, I, I want to ask um, any final thoughts on any of what we've talked about, anything that, you know, mm. you have, you have, I don't know, however long you want to take, a minute, 10 minutes, I don't care, do whatever you want. You're strong, independent adults. You can do, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Uh, but you know, you have five minutes to say something to someone. You have no idea what their what their journey has been. But what what do you say to them? I I think I would say um, that Jesus is from for me from my own experiences. Um, Jesus is for me the light at the end of the tunnel, and. It's okay for me to get mad at him and yell at him and scream at him. But I know that he's going to journey with me. He's going to journey with me through my pain. And to remember that he is always there beside me um, makes a lot of difference. And I know that in all the situations in my life that I've had to deal with, um, when I look back... I can say, especially, you know, when it's been things where people have forced things on me that have been a huge grief and loss issue, uh, I can say, I almost can hear God saying, I can't do anything about what so-and-so is doing, but I can take care of you, Mm. okay? When I did cancer treatments, I can't do anything about the fact that you have this disease 
that you are going to have to go through this, but you've got to know that I'm going to protect you and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to tell you that's been the best comfort for me in every situation is when I can look back and see how much God loves me. He listens to me. He takes care of me. And, um, I mean, that's been the best medicine of all. That's how I've healed. And that's also how I know my worth in Jesus, how much I am worth to him. And I just love him so much more. Man, um, I, I've always heard history repeats itself as a negative phrase. Um, but I think in regards to faith, we move forward by looking back on all the mm-hmm. times that Jesus has been there for us and carried us through something. So I look at, I look at faith as saying, yeah, history will repeat itself. God will do this again. And time um, and time, time and time again. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. And James, what about you? So I almost would say, uh, talk to two different people here for just a moment, but the first one would be the person that is walking through, uh, the pain right now. And I think the first thing I would just say is you are not what you're going through. You're not what people are saying about you. You're not what even people are saying to you. Uh, you're not all of the pat answers. You are not all of that. You are who Jesus has said that you are. You are beloved. I mean, if you can just start with that, if you can believe that, and I know, man, that is hard sometimes when you're walking through something to really believe that, that that I am loved by God, first of all. Yeah. Uh, but that allows you to see Jesus at the, at the end of that road. And uh, so that's my first thing is you are more than the experience or you're more than the things that anybody is saying. You are God's child, and he loves you. I mean, it's really pretty simple. As far as anybody knowing how to help uh, somebody going through that, I've heard it said this way before, and there really is a lot of validity, and it's really simple. Sometimes the best thing you can do to help somebody is just to be there and just shut up. Yeah. I mean, really, just be there and be present. You know, the the problem I think a lot of people have is they want to be able to help somebody. And they say, young people do this, they they say they want to be available for their friends that are going through a hard time. But, But sometimes when they're with other friends that are not as engaged in that, they kind of fall back on something else. So don't, you know, my thing is be present without feeling like you have to say anything. Be just come alongside somebody. You know, in my case with bullying, if you go alongside somebody who's being bullied, that might mean that you're opening yourself up to be bullied too. Mm. It might mean that. Do you have the courage to to stand in there with that person? Yeah. You know, sometimes servant leadership is having the courage to put yourself in that position too. So, you know, if you're that person that you want to figure out, no matter what it costs you, come alongside that person. Maybe all it costs is your time, but just come alongside that person and don't feel like you have to say anything. Don't make the mistake Job's friends did. Just be there yeah. and be present. My 
biggest wish my senior year, my biggest wish, you know, even since then was that, and, and I know this to be true of a lot of people dealing with grief, bullying, whatever, is I just want life to be normal again. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that you two were such a big role in, in my, um, my moving forward was um, that you let me experience normalcy. Hmm. Uh, you didn't treat me any differently unless I asked to be treated differently, right? If I said, I need space, I actually remember one night my senior year while we were at prayer conference and I was a leader, uh, Steph, you let me skip out of a general session because I couldn't, I don't remember what happened in that general session. I don't know if I was just having a bad night in general, but you told me, uh, even before the conference, you were like, if you need to skip out, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you let me take a friend with me and um, not be alone. Um, but in general, you just let me be me. And, and uh, James, you've always been someone who comes up with ridiculous jokes with me. Uh, to <laughs> that's our own that's the ministry, right? And dignity. Absolutely it is. <laughs> uh, absolutely it is. No, the but Ministry you, of you, corniness. Um, and we talk about ministry all the time together and find out just how much... It's crazy, and maybe you've had a hand in it because you you've influenced me certainly. Um, it's crazy That's though. Scary. Ten years out of having been, you know, ten years out of doing prayer conference, how much we resonate on things mm-hmm. and see things similarly. Um, but I only get to really interact with you once a year, mm-hmm. so that means the rest of the year things have happened in a way that have grown me in a place to a place where. Well, that's the case because it's entirely likely that I grew up and did not resonate with you. I'm growing um, right along with you too because yeah. I kind of feel the same way. It's like we, how do we connect when we hardly ever really talk that much except through text messages and the once every so often phone call or something. But yeah, it's like it's like, I, I I think it's me growing too. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, well, the real reason I brought you two on here was to say thank you for the last ten years. Wow, um, and to. Um, let you know that you guys mean the world to me. Um, and 10 years out prayer conference is something that still changes my life. It is a place I come for, for affirmation and validation. I mean, two years ago I came here on the, on the cusp of a breakup. Um, and this is what, this is what saved me from hating ministry because I had two relationships in a row that ended partially because I was in ministry and this coming here three days after a relationship ends and watching kids and watching me still through grief being able to be effective and watching the Lord work and seeing how thrilled I was to see lives changed completely rid me of that desire to be resentful towards my work and, and what mm. I consider to be my life calling. Um, so thank you to both of you. And um, I am so privileged to work alongside you every year and do this. Um, but I and I can't wait to see what the future holds. Uh, for the three of us and uh, for prayer conference as a whole. But thank you guys so much uh, for being on, for sharing your thoughts um, and for ultimately just for being my friends. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Um, It means the world. Uh, Definitely means the world to our listeners. um, We want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this kind of peek into uh, what we do. And um, uh, I want to thank James and Steph for being on here. If you want to subscribe to absurdity, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those great podcatching apps. Um, we are a lot more active on Facebook now, so you can find us at facebook.com slash absurditypodcast. Throw us a like there to see when new episodes are live as well. Um, and if you want to donate and support this podcast financially, every dollar helps us make this happen. Um, and is one less dollar I have to I have to put forward to doing this. Um, but you can go to patreon.com slash absurditypodcast, and you can make an account, and you can set up to... Uh, do recurring donations of whatever amount you want. Um, every patron gets 
ad-free episodes, and every patron over five dollars get five dollars or more gets a bonus episode, uh, at least one bonus episode per month. And um, if you sign up in the month, don't worry, it won't charge you until the first of the next month. So if you're waiting on payday, don't, because it won't charge you before payday anyway. Um, but thank you so much for being on this journey with us. We hope this episode was was beneficial to you, and we will see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.